Welcome, everyone. How are we doing today? Welcome to the Max Schmarzo podcast. Glad to have you on here. And I have a fun talk today. Well, everything's like every time we talk, it's a great talk, right? Isn't that how it works? Um, but as always, I have the Always an Athlete seven day free trial for anyone who wants to join. Feel free to join. I appreciate you guys giving it a go. If you don't like it, you don't need to stick around. If you like it, stay with the team. We have a message board, it's on an app, updated weekly. Pretty awesome. Um, so give it a go if you like it. If not, that's cool. I appreciate you guys giving it a try. I'm not here to tell you this is the best program for everyone. It's probably not, but some people really like it and some people might not. And you might be one of those people who really like it. And you'll never know until you try. That's why you got a seven-day free trial because it's free and you get a try and you see if you like it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about today about well, a couple of topics. Um, one one is about Iowa gas stations or Midwest gas stations in general. And number two is about the gatekeepers of information in terms of uh, more, you see it more in social media, but the world of fitness and strength conditioning, but we'll get there in a second. First and foremost, let's really talk about what matters here. Have you guys ever been to a Midwest gas station? So I grew up in California I lived in Portland also as well, Oregon. By the way, in Portland, Oregon, at their gas stations, they would have someone who would fill your gas up for you. In California, you always did it yourself. But in Portland, they would have someone who would just fill your gas up for you. The bougiest thing in the world. I don't know if they charged extra for that. Uh, like if it was attacked on the gas prices or whatever. But there'd be a man out there, pull up, and they would fill your gas up for you five stars every time it's like every gas station you get like the ritz carlton service but besides that the gas stations were nothing to write home about it was gas you go inside and there'd be a person stuck behind some sort of plexiglass thing you could buy like a lighter gum maybe sunflower seeds and like the size you know cigarettes and Basically, the room was the size of a porta potty. I mean, it's tiny. There wasn't much to it. But Iowa gas station, a Midwest gas station is totally different. A Midwest gas station, unless you've been to one, it's hard to describe. Well, it's hard to appreciate, but let me do my best to describe it. I think we need more of these in America because it's really just freaking awesome. Regular gas station in terms of you pull up, there's gas gas pumps but you go inside the gas station if you've just walked in to the equivalent of of your local convenience store they will have take and bake pizzas fresh made pizzas not the 7-eleven weird kind of pizza they have fresh made donuts fresh in the back someone's making donuts they have eggs they have milk they have chicken dishes they have they it's like the most confusing yet awesome situation ever they have a full like place you can make a meal even and you have um you know different the coffee's fabulous places you can sit down and enjoy your food they have ice cream they have a whole alcohol fridge you walk into it inside the gas station it's one of the most amazing all the gas stations are like this Casey's is known for their pizza, gas station pizza. It's known for it. 
the wildest thing. It's it's every time I go in there, it's a little overwhelming because I kind of I kind of just want to appreciate them. I kind of want to buy stuff. They have, I mean, there's quite a few of them. I think there's four, three. There's a Casey's. There's a Quick Star. I think there's a Quick Trip, and there's a Come and Go. I think those are the four main ones. I could be messing it, messing that up. But I think those are the four main ones. Casey's is known for the pizza. Some of them make fresh chicken wings. But the point of it is when you walk into it, you feel like the world is your oyster. Anything is possible. I've never walked into a gas station that's inspirational until I went to the Midwest. Now, I'm not kidding. If you've been to the Midwest, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're driving. You pull to get gas and you go inside to grab, I don't know, a piece of gum. And you just walked into the equivalent of what would be your local convenience store. Buy bananas, apples, you can make a salad. I'm not sure who's buying all this stuff out of there, but it's awesome. I'm not sure how the inventory is maintained. I just assume it's magic. Midwest magic simply supplies all the inventory. There's really, it's honestly surprising what you can't find in there. Everyone's typically fairly nice. Someone will hold the door for you if you walk in and walk out and you have too much stuff. You can get a full meal. You can probably buy school supplies. You can probably, I don't even know what else you could do. Didn't think they have cakes in there. The point of this whole conversation is that we need more places like this. We need more places that inspire. We need more places that give you that warm feeling. California gas stations do not give you that warm feeling. I'll tell you that right now. Get out of the car. You go in there, buy a stick of gum. That's it. You go into a Midwest gas station to go buy a stick of gum. I don't know. You might be invited to a party. There might be a party in there. You might be inclined to take and bake a pizza. You might sit around. You might enjoy life a little bit. I think that's what it comes down. You know what? I think that's what it, I think I just solved the problem. I think it's to a point where you can just, it helps you appreciate what you have. Because you go in there and it's all the things you need all in one. You go into an Iowa, I mean, a California gas station and it's never what you need. To go somewhere, they have everything you need in a place where you didn't expect it would have everything you need. It's such a warm feeling that you might get, you know, you might buy some donuts. You might go ahead and, you know, get a take and bake pizza. You might just live it up a little bit. You appreciate yourself a little bit more and you might splurge and you might take the opportunity to appreciate yourself because you appreciate the fact that this gas station didn't go the extra mile and went the extra light year to take care of you. So you got to take care of yourself. I'm telling you, man, if you go through a Midwest, stop at a gas station or four. Unbelievable. They really are unbelievable. It's hard to describe. So I had to get that off my chest because I just, I got to go to the gas station today and get some gas. I wonder what you get at a gas station. Gas. But you know, I might, I might leave with some other stuff. A take and bake pizza. Who knows? The donuts that sit by the front of the cashier. Where they have like nine cashiers, by the way. 
Balvorn is like one guy behind a plexiglass. They're like nine cashiers. Oh, nine registers, what it's called. Fabulous. Amazing. Top notch. I am very bullish on Iowa gas stations. All right. Well, number two topic that you guys want to hear about is the gatekeepers of social media, of information, I should say, on social media. One of the things I see time and time again, and this is a concerning thing I see, is that, again, I've mentioned this once before, but it's more concerning that we just accept it because I think that's the real concern is the reflection of what it is, is that we're willing just to listen to anybody on social media. And this social media creates what's called power leveraging. And I mentioned that in a podcast where they basically say, look, I've acquired some secret bit of information through experiences only I have had. And only through my anecdotal experiences have I acquired this information. Therefore, the only time you can get this information is directly from me. The only evidence I have is the fact that no one else has the evidence I have. And when you start to hear things like that, you start to scratch your head. What is the probability that this person without any investigative research through random trial and error has stumbled upon the secret to success of all things. Is it possible one or two things could have greater utility than that, which we are aware of because of sheer volume of trial and error that might have occurred from this person? Sure. The probability that they've hit the nail on the head through trial and error without evidence documentation, and they've surpassed whatever research is at, through trial and error seems the most improbabilist, improbability, improbabilistic kind of thing, improbable kind of thing ever. Humans are quick to ignore probability when emotion supersedes it because you get emotionally convinced, not intellectually convinced. You get emotionally invested. You don't get intellectually suggested. It's not like there is a burden of a large scale evidence and you've gathered that evidence and like, hmm, I think probabilistically this is likely. No, instead it's this gatekeeper. The only way to figure out the information I have is to come through my gates. Only then will you be able to experience the knowledge I have. Everything I have read, you can get at a library, you can Google, you can PubMed, or you could buy. I have done some research myself. I have, but as I flex my pinky for those of you watching the video, it is like less than 10% of my knowledge, easily, way less than 10%, maybe less than 2%. But the real information comes from is synthesizing the evidence, drawing parallels and connections from other people's work. Hours and hours and years and years and careers and careers goes into research. It's our job to try and interpret that research and weigh the evidence and say, hmm, does that make sense? Or you could just get emotionally driven and try and believe that someone has a secret answer for you who's ignored all these researchers and all their careers and simply just gone about trial and error and has discovered the secret path to success. And as humans, I think it's an interesting reflection of us because we are quick to try and simply have the answer. Oh, is this the best way or is that the best way? I am more inclined to risk my own time, my own energy towards someone who has emotionally connected with me in the sense that they might be a gatekeeper of information than I would to actually provide the time and effort to try and understand the information. And that's the issue. As a human, you're probably weighing the effort it would take 
to try and critically think and determine whether or not this is a good method, a bad math, a good method, a bad method, a great method. Instead, you're willing to just risk the time that would take to have proper solution and roll the dice and hope that this individual has the secret to success. And this is something that you can see across all domains, the gatekeeper phenomenon, as opposed to just trying to actually critically think. I always wondered why that's the case. And it might be the case if you think in your head, well, what I'm trying to accomplish, my goal is not of much significance. It's just something I want to do and I want to explore. And so therefore I'm going to go through this gate I'm going to take on their information and I'm going to simply appraise the results based on how I feel. And that's totally fine. But do you think people are really doing that cost analysis in their head? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're not. And that's interesting too, because it provides a massive conundrum for that of people on, uh, on social media. How do I portray complex science that doesn't have definitive results or hundred percent success or I can't even say is factually 1000% true because there's always an air of doubt. When you have other people who proclamate, this is 100% correct. It's an interesting problem to try and solve, right? It's the classic, it's the Brunelli's principle, the bullshit asymmetry principle, where it requires an exceptional amount of information to simply disprove bullshit. It's asymmetrical, the amount of bullshit that the amount of time it takes to make up a lie is substantially less than the time it takes to prove that it is a lie. And knowing that it's actually easier to just make up partial truths and things that become murky to disprove that have nuances because the amount of effort you have to go through to break apart the nuances that aren't true is so large that the yield from actually breaking apart those nuances isn't that high of a return relative to the time it takes to put into it. And so by just providing partial and nuanced truth and the partial and not in the nuance, but partial and maybe not totally correct or um, fully vetted truths out there. Partial truth is such a thing. I don't know that then to disprove that truth becomes so much of an effort, especially when you have a partial truth with an emotional charge behind it. And it connects with someone emotionally. And then the truth is somewhat there, but not totally there. I guess it's a partial incomplete truth, maybe. And so the amount of effort to disprove that incomplete truth has to not only combat the time it would take to do that, but also the emotional aspect with it. And as humans, we should be aware of that as a whole. The information that we read, we critically think about, we appraise. We have to understand that our emotions at times get in the way of our ability to quantify things, to objectively reason. Emotions are very important, but at times they can hinder us. And at times they can help us a lot. And knowing those times and being emotionally aware of how we process information is so important. It's almost like the way we should be aware when we eat foods and be aware when we work out, we should be aware of when we go through our specific social media and information digestion process. Um, and I see that a lot, right? It's the gatekeeper phenomenon is what I call it. And maybe that's not the right way to call it, the right way, the right thing to call it, but it seems always like it's someone has coveted some sort of information. 
they have some partial truth to it or there is some truth or there is some antidote, there is some emotion. It's like this perfect cocktail. I wonder if you can formulate that to understand what it is. I'm sure someone out there has. But the more that we can understand that we as humans struggle at times to, no one said we're perfect. We're never built for this world of huge information. At no point in time through evolution did we ever have access to this much information. Never at any point in time did we have the number of contact points with the number of humans we possibly could have in a day. The sheer volume of human to human partial interactions, even on the internet, you perceive people, you perceive things, the amount of judgments you're casting on someone else or that you're casting on yourself based on someone else you see is so much higher than you ever would have if you lived in a community where there wasn't any social media and you simply interacted with those around you. And so with all the contact points and all the constant slew of information coming out, it becomes harder to digest the information. And the information that you're digesting and trying to break apart, sometimes you use other information you got from elsewhere that it too was partial. So now we have a bunch of kind of incomplete parts trying to build a machine that operates efficiently. And so some of the things you can do is really get back to that first principles thinking, really reflect, really trying to find things, understand things. And that's why I had the Dean of Big Data on here, because I think it's really interesting to try and problem solve, to try and get around these issues and talk about them. And I, I have incomplete descriptions of them as I provide them here and call it a gatekeeper and what you see on social media and all this stuff. And I probably would be a much better social media presence if I did something similar. Um, you know, just kind of make adamant claims or whatever it might be. I don't care. Something of that nature provides some secretive value or secretive asset. I guess that's why I made this podcast too, because I wanted to have somewhere I could have a longer form thought. I don't know if this podcast is more of a hobby or a way I can get, you know, a therapeutic means of just talking into the, the verse under a longer form of content because limited by other social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram, you can't post that long of videos. So maybe that's what this is here. So I want to share my information with you because I struggle with some of this stuff. And maybe you see it too, and you struggle with it as well. Um, and, and it's interesting to at least have a thought about it, a discussion about it, whether it's just myself talking out loud to try and work through some things and what I see and why we think that way and why we have those emotional reactions to someone with an emotionally charged message, positive, negative, whatever it might be with the partial truth that becomes very hard to disprove. And the effort level to disprove is too hard. And when that becomes the case and you try and fight back what might be impartial information with more complete information, by the time you've actually shared your complete information, it's just almost easier for people to accept the partial information and so you put in all this effort, you've gotten such a low result, it becomes this negative feedback loop, like, why would I even bother doing that again? But if you don't stop it, does it just keep growing and growing and growing? This partial information becomes a snowball effect. And we just have a cascade of events where there's an infinite amount of partial information. It becomes more and more partial because it becomes a competition for people's time and attention. And the more partial information that exists, the less time and attention, attention there is because it starts to fight and compete amongst itself. And is there going to be a pendulum swing back? I don't know. I'm not even sure if that makes sense totally. But I wanted to share with you all here today, before I keep rambling on, I'll close it off and think or end it with a, some sort of wrapped up piece. And that is when you go on social media, just 
anywhere at all, you get information, try and do your best to think for yourself with the information and understand where it's coming from. Be aware of certain things that cloud your own judgments and your ability to objectively reason. A lot of times it might be an emotion. It might be something of that nature as well. Uh, emotion or a reason why that emotion exists and that's getting in the way. Um, and they, the more we can understand that and we can try and understand the habits we have when we digest information and go through and try to process it, then we can learn from some of the things we see online without having to fully accept everything we see and hear from everybody. And that's the thing as well. Like, why do we accept such grandiose truths from everybody without any rebuttal? And why is someone able to have a grandiose truth be portrayed and expressed? But anytime you have a rebuttal, it's called combative or conflicting. Yet my rebuttal is simply just not an argument in the sense that it is combative, but in the sense that you don't necessarily agree with the proclamation of truth and you don't think it is a truth. That is maybe something scientifically you can look at and say, well, I think there's actually, it's not 100% correct. What you say might be 75 or 50% correct. And here's some of the other variables I would consider. So I'll leave that there. Something to think about, something to ponder. I appreciate you all. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Um, take care and peace out.